Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. Can you stand? We're going to read the Word of God together this morning, and we just want to honor God's Word. It took a lot to get us this Bible. It took a lot. The Bible, Bible, people paid with their life to get us this Bible. If you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, which is what I use. How many people use YouVersion Bible app? Give me a wave of your hand. And that, that got on your phone for free, but it didn't arrive for free. Somebody had to make that. There's, there's millions of dollars invested in that app just to get us the Bible in our hands. And so I, I want us to, as a church, to become lovers of the Word of, of God. Do, are we lovers of the Word of God? Do you love the Bible? Do you love God's Word? There's a few of you that love it. Do you love God's Word? Are you ready for God's Word? Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says this, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie down together, they keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him a threefold cord is not quickly broken. We're beginning a new series uh, for this month called Created for Community. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's alive. We thank you that we get it. It's, it's a love letter from you to us. It's our life manual. And Lord God, as we let the word of God get in us, it's not like some dead textbook, but it's living. It's powerful. It's active. It's full of your promises. Lord God, and if we, if we, Lord God, build our life on your word, Lord God, it, it's, it's destining us, Lord God, for success. It's setting us up, Lord, for breakthrough, Lord God. And so we pray that through your word today, you would speak to us individually and corporately. Lord God, I pray that it wouldn't be just another message on another Sunday, but there'd be something powerful resting on this prophetically. I pray that you just speak to the people in the room, that the people that are watching online or watching a replay, God, that you'll bring this word alive in their life in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Why don't you high five the person beside you, grab a seat, tell them how unbelievably intelligent they look. In, in Genesis chapter 1, God is in the zone. In verse 4, it says that God saw that the light was good. Creating lights, looks back, that's good. Verse 10, God saw that the land and the seas that he created, and he called them good. In verse 12, God saw the plant life and the vegetation and said, it is good. Verse 18, God saw that the sun and the moon giving us time was good. In verse 21, God saw that the birds of the air and the ocean creatures were good. Verse 25, God saw that the land creatures were good. On the sixth day, God goes into reflection. Before he kicks back and has a day off, he's admiring his handiwork. In Genesis 1 verse 31 says, God saw everything and it was 
very good. So he's like, that's good, that's good, this is good, that's good. Sets it all up. Got it all in place. It's ready to kick back and have a day off after all that creating. And he takes one look at it and he goes, that is very good. God is in a happy space. He is, he is happy with everything he has created. In chapter 2, he's busy making all that work together. He has Adam working in the garden. Uh, he's got his plants, vegetation, animals, everything is, is working out. And then God looks at Adam and God says this. It's not good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. I like it. It's good. It's very good. It's all working. It's all flowing. Adam's in the garden and he takes one look at Adam and he says, it's not good. It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. God says everything is good, but God says this is not good. So hang on, like, like what, what happened? What changed? There's no sin. Man hasn't sinned. There's no fall of man. The serpent hasn't raised its ugly head. God has a monopoly on Adam's time. It's just God and Adam. People will say that when they don't want to go to church. Oh, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be a part of a church. I, I don't need the church. It's just me and it's just God. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Just me and God. Sounds so unbelievably spiritual. I don't need you all. It's just me and the Lord. And then God had that with Adam. God had that kind of relationship with Adam. The person who says they don't need church because it's just them and God, God already had that with somebody and his name was Adam. And God's like, good, 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 very good. Then he looked at that relationship with Adam and God says, that's not good. In fact, God said, you're alone. It's not good for man to be alone. So out of all the good, suddenly it's not good. And it's not good for man to be alone. And God says, I will create a helpmate for him. It wasn't a, God didn't create a helpmate so God could have more people in the meeting. It wasn't God's like, oh, I need, I need someone who can sing. And Adam's horrible. So I'm going to create a helpmate for me. No, God says, I'm going to create a helpmate for Adam. So God created community for Adam. Man is alone, but man by nature needs community. It is not good for man to be alone. The opposite is true. Psalm 133 says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It's not good for man to be alone, but the psalmist says, behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together, when we're together in unity as one unit. If we learn anything from 2020, is that man is not good when you isolate him or take him out of communi community. 
They put in the shelter in place mandate and they locked us down. And every community seemed to have its own different level of lockdown mandate. Some communities, it was more of a suggestion. Close it up, stay home, and people are like, Meh. Others, it was intense. You know, in New Zealand, the lockdown mandate, they had bubbles that you had to be within your bubble. And if you traveled out of your bubble to visit the bubble next door, if you, were bubbling, if you went to the other bubble, if you went to the other bubble out of your bubble to the other bubble, you're in trouble in the other bubble. If you went out of your bubble to another bubble, that was trouble to be in another bubble. People were calling people from other bubbles, calling the police, reporting them for leaving their bubble. It was like, you need to stay at home alone. Go anywhere. And then when we we're finally like, okay, maybe you could venture outside and you could go, we had to wear masks. Oh, I hated the face mask. I just got to be honest with you. I know some of y'all still wear it, but I, I, I hated, I hated the face mask. We learned a lot. We learned that we need to brush our teeth more. That was one benefit, I guess, of the face mask. We, Greg and I had to go to the gym and they wouldn't let you work out without a face mask on. We had one young guy that we we're working out with and, he, and, he, and he's got his and he work and he's hitting choo, 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 and he gets off and he's puffing and he gets off and he pulls his face mask off and he's, ah, 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 with his face mask off. And I was like, hey, bro, I think that's why they want you to have it on. It's the spitting your germs all over people. And that was horrible to preach. We preached in church and everyone was wearing the face mask in church. And I could never tell whether people were angry or happy. Because they're like, their eye just covers here. And it's like nothing. I, I hate it. And, and, and not only face mask, like, yeah, you got a face mask on, but, but get back six feet. And so, like, you go anywhere where they, where they still got the things on the ground, and you could, like, like it's archaeology. You know, like, thousands of years from now, they're going to find elevators with those footprints on, and they're going to be like, these people were weird. And, and, and so the, the, the social distancing didn't help. We're not, we're not created to be in isolation. We're not created to be uh, away from each other. And out of that isolation arose a climate of political, racial, and online division. Those things grew out of that. Opinions ran to the extreme edges of cultural values with zero regard or values for others. It created isolation and it created separation. It's not good for man to be alone. Isolation is not our friend. It's not good for man to be alone. You go through the Bible, leaders had issues in isolation. King David's trouble began when he was alone. When it was the time for the kings to be at war, he was at home alone. Jesus was alone in the wilderness and the devil came to him and tempted Jesus when Jesus was alone. I'm suggesting to you that if Jesus was in the danger zone alone, it's probably not good for us to be alone. No good thing happens in isolation. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one. There are some benefits that come out of us being in relationship, and they come, and, or seen, if you like, in Ecclesiastes 4. We're more successful. 
The Bible says that two are better. You are better in community than you are outside of it. Two are better than one because they get a good reward for their labor. We are better in relationship. We are better in church. We're created for community. So it gives us success. It gives us support. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls because he has no one else or not another to lift him up. So you and I are created for intimacy. That when, when all hell breaks loose, when things go wrong, that we've got a support network that can rush in and help us. That's why our small groups are such a strategic part of our church. We're inviting everybody, get into a life group. Our life groups function as a small group entity in our church where we break the large church down into groups of small numbers so people can be partially cared for. We have leadership in there. So if something goes wrong, they're the first responders in pastoral care. The way we've structured it is, if you have an accident, you go to hospital. We're asking our pastoral care group, our life group leaders, they're the first ones on the scene. They've already, they're making meals. They're, they're helping you at your house. They're, they're supporting you. The second people that should know about it is us, the pastoral team. And then we follow it through as a, as a church. But we have our life group structure so that every one of, because we walk through tough times. We walk through difficult situations. Some of those are situations we created for ourselves. Some of them are created by somebody else. Some of them are just things that happen. In, in, in my small group, I'm a part of a small group, and we meet on Wednesday nights, and we gather. If anything goes wrong with any of the people in my small group, we're calling each other. Hey, pray for me. Help me. I need your support. Can you follow up on this? And so a community is supposed to bring support, security, Again, if lie, two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? There's just something great about belonging that just makes you confident and relaxed and, you know, because intimacy is just a cool thing. Strength. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will stand him a threefold cord is not quickly broken. The illustration there, if you take, a, take a, a, one of these leads or something, you'll find that the cords in there are wrapped around each other. They're not separate, they're wrapped around each other and then in a casing. And the whole idea is that you, you pull that one wire, gives strength to the next. That's what relationships are supposed to do. We're supposed to bring strength. We all walk through hard times and there's times when we don't feel like we can walk. And so community is supposed to pick us up and help us walk. There's times when we, like we're struggling in our faith or we're struggling in our confidence or we're just hitting a wall and we need to call some people and say, hey, can you pray with me? Hey, can we have lunch? Hey, can we hang out? Can we, can we spend some time together? I, I, I like hanging around with people that inject life. You, you got friends like that, that when you hang around with them, you feel like, man, I can do anything. We need those people in our world. That's what the church is supposed to be about. The church is not about supposed to be hanging around with a whole heap of people who tell you how horrible you are or what you've done wrong. We're supposed to provide strength for each other. That's a part of the community of, of, of God, helping one another grow. That's why we have the church. Welcome home. 
We're created for community. That's the purpose of the church. Planted in the house of the Lord. Thriving in the courts of our God. One of the most thorough research projects on relationships is called the Alameda County Study. It was headed by a Harvard social scientist called George Kaplan. And it tracked the lives of 7,000 people over nine years. And this is the result. Researchers found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. People who had bad health habits, such as smoking, poor eating, obesity, bad sleep, no exercise or excessive alcohol use, but strong social ties live significantly longer than the people who had great health habits but were isolated. In other words, it's better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. Oh, I wish that was in the Bible. How awesome would that be to be, to have, be a proverb? Like you're at work and hanging out with you. Yeah, Proverbs 49 verse 7 says, it's better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. Community is intended to be multidirectional. It's not one level. So community up, mentors and heroes. Community beside, friends and family. And community out, would be impact and influence. We're going to talk about those areas over this coming month. We pick up the principle of this in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 verse 5 to through to verse 10 says, When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, uh, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. He said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, he goes, another come and he comes to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said those to those who followed him, I tell you the truth. No one in Israel have I found such faith. What an interesting response. The centurion comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I realize you're a man under authority. I get that because I'm a man under authority. I'm a man under authority. I have authority. So I tell other people to flow in my authority. I tell them what to do and do that. And Jesus said, this man gets it. He understands the faith realm. Notice Jesus did not say, hey, bro, that's not right. We're all equal. No one's better than anybody else. No one should lead. There's no leader over you and you shouldn't lead anybody else. We're all equal. We're all flat. We're all on the same plane. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, no, you, you understand how community works. You understand how this faith thing works. You're a man under authority. You have relationships up. Then on your level, you have relationships beside. But you also have people that you're communicating or releasing your influence out, and they're the people that are under you. 
I, I up, I'm a man under authority. Beside, uh, there are those who also rank at my rank. Out, soldiers under me. This is the centurion's mentality and Jesus commends it. Three levels of relationship. Up, I would say they're our mentors and our heroes. This is leadership. We're under their authority. Beside, friends and family. They're our associates. They're people of equal authority. And then out, impact and influence, these are followers who now we give authority to and we give opportunity to. This week I just want to finish out focusing on relationships up. Talking about leadership because every one of us need to have leadership in our life. There needs to be someone we're following. Someone who's impacting and influencing our life. The reasons that we need relationships up and how to embrace them, there are at least, there's multitude of scriptures throughout the Bible, but Hebrews chapter 13, list two. Hebrews 13, seven. Remember those, remember, sorry, your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their faith and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then 10 verses later. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Follow a leader. We need to follow a leader because it's God's plan. God set leadership in place. On this first level, there are heroes. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, remember your leaders, those who've spoken to you the word of God. The New King James says, remember those who rule over you, who've spoken the word of God to you. So remember leaders. This is a reference to the men and the women of God who have led in times past. They are most likely early church fathers or people that help, you know, plant the early church. Uh, and they are probably some of the people that uh, Paul was writing about in Hebrews chapter 11. So in chapter 11, he's like listening out God's hall of fame. These are the heroes. These are the people that have gone before us. Then in chapter 12, let us run our race. Let us do what we're called to do. In chapter 13, he's like, remember those who rule over you, who've spoken the word of God. I want you to reflect on people that had authority and leadership in your life that probably don't have that now. And he refers to them as being the heroes of the faith is what we would call them. The difference between a, a, a mentor and a hero is a, a mentor is a leader who has personal influence in your life. They've spoken the word of God to you. There's, there's interaction. A hero is a leader who has influence in your life that you may have never spent time with. So in Hebrews chapter 11, they're the heroes of faith. They're listed out and they're supposed to inspire us. These are men and women that we are not talking with, we're not communicating, but we look at their life and we go, man, and maybe you have a Bible hero. Maybe there's a man or a woman in the Bible like, now I love reading about David or I love reading about Joseph or I'm inspired by Paul. 
I really like Timothy. These are people that have leadership influence on your life. They're speaking the word of God to you. They're helping shape your life. But a hero you have no personal connection with. A mentor, on the other hand, is someone that you do have personal connection with. They're a leader talking to you. You have access to them because they're alive. A hero may also be alive, but you don't have access to them. A hero of the faith for word of life may be uh, the Covers, Pastor, Pastor Cover and his wife Lois. They, they, they had influence. They led this church for 40 years. He was the pastor of the house, the, the mother and the father of the house, and they had influence. And so he shaped your life. He's a hero of faith, and he should be a hero of faith. I have heroes of faith in my life. Pastor Don McDonnell Sr. was a hero of faith. He shaped my life as a young Christian. Pastor Laurie Jensen was my pastor. Both these men have gone to be with the Lord, but they've shaped my life. I have other leaders who've come in and out who are heroes who are now no longer. And so I have Bible heroes. I have early church fathers. I have pastors in my life. These are heroes who inspire me, who still lead through the lessons they taught me, but they're no longer around. A mentor, on the other hand, is someone I have connection with. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Well, we don't like that word. That word obey is like, yeah. But we're a church of leaders. We're a church of leaders because leadership is God's idea. Leadership is not man's idea, it's God's idea. Leadership gives us vision. Bible says, without a vision, people cast off restraint. Joseph's ability to convert Pharaoh's dream to a vision saved generations. Leadership gives us authority. I'm a man under authority, and because I'm under authority, I have authority. I have my credentials with the assemblies of God. The assemblies of God as a movement give me the authority to minister as a pastor. And so you need to be under authority. Leadership makes us better says in verse 17 of Exodus 18, Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. So here's Moses, arguably one of the greatest leaders of the Old Testament. He's a spectacular man of God. How many people love the leadership of Moses? Three? (laughs) Not a trick question. The answer is like, yes. How many people love the leadership of Moses? He may be watching on the, in the grandstands of heaven and he just saw you not respond. And he's like, I crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, bro. Like you're all impressed with Jesus walking on water. I parted water and walked on dry ground. He's a spectacular leader. But there's one day he's at, he's at the office, he's doing he's counseling, which I just don't get because I am not a counselor. The, the Jesus is our wonderful counselor. I didn't get that deposit of Jesus in me. And so, and he's counseling all day, like from morning till night. If I got to counsel people from morning to night, I don't even know if they sell that much Ritalin for me to have focus. He is counseling people morning to night and, and he's feeling good. I'm the man. Like, how's your day at work, Moses? Awesome. I am the man. What makes you the man? Well, everyone needs to talk to me. They had other people that they could talk to, but they didn't talk to them because they are losers. But I'm the man. So I counsel people from morning. And, and, and Jethro comes to him and says, bro, you're worn out. 
And, and, and you're not even giving good advice anymore. Like, like people are coming to you and you're so exhausted, you're just telling them anything. Pray. Sell them. Whatever. And, 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 and what you need to do is you need to have leadership structure and you, Moses, need to lead over the big matters. Because right now, you're so in the detail, you're so in the minutiae of everything that's happening down here, you can't give wisdom to the big detail. So you need to distribute the leadership weight out and have leaders over leaders throughout the community for your sake and for the people's sake. It was for the welfare of the people that they established the leadership team. At Word of Life, we have lead pastors. Anna and I have the privilege to be the lead pastors of our church. But we don't lead alone. We're not doing everything. It wouldn't be good for you and it wouldn't be good for us if we were just the church where we did everything because that was the expectation of people. Your church can never grow like that. And so we have a pastoral team who help us with pastoral ministry. We have a church board, a deacon team, who help us with the financial administration of the church. Under our pastors and leaders, we have discipleship leaders. Our discipleship leaders, read uh, they lead zones. And under those discipleship leaders, we have life group leaders. And our life group leaders help us partially care for the church. We have team leaders. We have generational leaders. We have leaders over our youth ministry, over our junior high, over our college, over our children's ministry. Why? Because we need to break down the leadership responsibility so we can help lead people healthy. God gave us leaders to the church and not two, gave us dozens. He gave us cultural leaders. We're starting our Persian service. Again, we're going to be planning a full-time, but we have one of our Persian service meetings today at 2 p.m. And uh, Pastor Fahad is leading that, and, he, and his team, Shanaz, his wife, and his team are leading that. So he can minister in the Persian. Why do we put him in leading the Persian community? Because I can't speak Farsi. I'm not even smart enough to know that the people from Iran don't make Turkish delight. It comes from Turkey. They make Iranian delight? Is that what you guys make? What do you call, what do you call Turkish delight that you make? Yeah. I was thinking, I was thinking that, but didn't know how to spell it. So... <laughs> now you, you need to follow a leader by choice. You should never be coerced or manipulated or blackmailed into following a leader. The Bible says they're considering the outcome of their conduct. I can't make you, order you, or nor should I, or demand that you follow me as lead pastor. I just have to lead in a way worth following. I need to live in such a way that it's worth repeating. I need to head in a direction that's worth going. It's my, my job not to demand followership, but to inspire people to follow where we're going. No, no leader should command or demand or manipulate you or coerce you or force you. It's your decision to follow. It's your decision to follow. And you have to make an intelligent decision to follow. Remember those who rule over you, considering the outcome of their conduct. There, there has to be accountability with all authority. When we give out authority, there has to be 
accountability. And that's one of the reasons we're sharing last week. Please don't be in a hurry to give people titles. Number one, titles like pastor or apostle or whatever, elder, titles set us up for problems. Because if anything ever happens to that person, let's call it Bill, and we're calling him Pastor Bill. No offense to our Pastor Bill, it's a different Bill. Totally different Bill. Let's call him Phil. Rhymes with Bill, spelled differently. So Pastor Phil, we don't have, so Pastor Phil, we call him Pastor Phil, and he does something crazy, gets in the newspaper, then the newspaper says Pastor Phil of Word of Life Church has way more weight than Phil of Word of Life Church. And if Pastor Phil has a title, but he's not accountable to us as a leadership team, then he has authority with no accountability. And so it's not a matter of controlling people. It's a matter of releasing greater levels of authority. So when people have a title or have a function, you know that they're backed up by the weight of our church and supported up by us as a leadership team. Recently, we've had a, a few people, and I, and I get why they, why they say this. I understand that. And they're saying, well, well, how come we don't allow people just in church to get up and give a word uh, in church during praise and worship like this, thus saith the Lord, like they did back in the 70s? Because it's authority without accountability. If anybody can just get up and say anything, thus saith the Lord, now you're establishing God's authority with what you just said, but we haven't given you the authority, so now you're taking authority without any accountability. Because if you get up and go, thus saith the Lord, and I get up and go, no, nah, that's not right. So just a load of junk. They're eating pizza before they got in here. You, you can't do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's why we, we like to know who's on the prayer line, because if someone's going to prophesy over you or have a word over you, I want to make sure that they're flowing in our authority and they're accountable that what they say is not going to damage you. And because we care for our community, we want to make sure that no one, the Bible says anybody comes in any other way other than the sheepfold through the gate is a hireling. And a hireling doesn't care about the sheep. A hireling only cares about the opportunity. So if you have a prophetic gift and your only goal is to prophesy and not to bring health to the body, you're a hireling because your gift is set, your, your objective is centered on your gift. I'm a prophet. I have a word. I need to give the word. My responsibility as a shepherd is, yeah, but, but, but it's more than you giving a word. I need to be responsible for the sheep. And so if you're a prophet and I have a prophetic gift, I know how it works. I have a lot of respect for the prophetic ministry. A lot of respect. I know how it works. Sometimes God will give you a word in service. It's not for everybody. It's just for you to pray for. God will put something on your heart. He's just telling you, I'm giving this to you. You pray about it. And you pray now. And you've got to discern that. Sometimes it's bigger and it's for the whole church. If it's bigger and it's for the whole church, then as a prophet, write it down. That's what they did in the Bible. And you bring it to leadership and say, hey, I don't know what you want to do with this, but I felt like God gave me this word. And sometimes that word is that we need to pray about it as a church. Sometimes that word is that I need to include it in my message. Sometimes it's a word that God's speaking to us about direction. But you cannot have authority without accountability. 
I, I couldn't just walk into this church and say, hey guys, I, 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 I pastored before, Can I, I think I should do the job. And then just start up here preaching. I had to be invited. I had to do interviews. I had to spend time with people. At the end of all that, church took a vote on whether they wanted me to lead or not lead. And so then you have the authority. Our, our deacon board gets voted in. They have authority because they're given authority. And it all works together. You cannot have authority without some level of credibility. That's where standards and boundaries happen. And that's why we put those things into place. It's not to control. It's not to manipulate. It's because we have a love for the whole church. And Sunday is not an everybody have a go day. Follow leaders because you like the direction that they're going in. Leadership has to be more than charisma, froth, and bubble. That there needs to be substance, there needs to be depth, there needs to be passion for the word and passion for the kingdom of God. Imitate their faith. Leaders need to lead with that mentality. Leaders need to lead with a mentality that people should be able to imitate their faith. If people were to duplicate you, how, how would that impact them? I think it's a fair enough question. Because people are going to follow you. If you're a parent, you're a leader. You're a leader of your children. So you're already leading. You're leading your children. You're saying, follow me. If they followed you, where would their life end up? If they followed you and your attitude towards church, would they love church more or would they devalue church? If they followed you in your prayer life, would they pray more or would they pray less? If they followed you in your attitude about life, if your children follow and, and children are following you. I have grandsons, three grandsons, and my three-year-old grandson, Marcus, is a sponge. Anything I do, he's going to copy if granddad's doing it, must be good. And so I have to be ultra aware when I race. Sometimes I race him to the car from my office. And so I say, are you ready? And we do the countdown. And I will go, hey, what's that lady doing over there? There's no one there trying to distract him. What's that lady? And he will look and I'll go, boom. And I'll get it and I'll beat him in the race because that's what Jesus wants me to do. But now, now he, will, he will be in it, we'll be standing up, and he's like, hey, what's that lady over there? He just mentioned something from last week. Hey, what's that lady? And I'm going to go, where? Where's the lady over there? And then he takes off. <laughs> he just copies everything. And, and, and that, that's good sometimes, and it's terrible sometimes. You've got to catch yourself doing things like, oh, I don't want him to do that. So every one of us is leading in the church. If we imitate your faith, are we more Christ-like? If we imitate your faith, are we more committed to church? If we imitate your faith, are we more helpful to the poor? If we imitate your faith, are we going to be closer to Jesus or further away than Christianity? I will follow you and then you make me become like you if I follow you. Parents, grandparents, we've all got to think about that, that our, our children and our grandchildren, we're influencing, they're, they're following us, and every one of us need to have fruit worth following. Yeah. Technically, all we are in church is fruit inspectors. 
You can't demand someone follows you. But you can have the fruit that somebody looks at your life and go, man, I, 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 I want that. I want to be more like that. I want to be more like that. Follow a leader because God has anointed them. There has to be the God factor involved. Uh, thus saith the Lord on a leader. Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, today, and forever. We've got to acknowledge the God factor on leadership. Joseph was able to acknowledge that with Pharaoh. God's giving you this dream. The secular leader, God's giving you this dream. And, and he was able to sign up for seven good years and seven bad years because he recognized the God factor on Pharaoh's life. You have to identify the God factor in a leader and the leader has to identify the God factor in you. Jesus had 70, then he had 12, and then he had three. There were 70, 12, and then three. And Peter, James, and John got to be with Jesus in areas that the other remaining nine didn't get to have a go at. So when it came to a great level of faith, he didn't call the 12 in. When he was raising Jairus' daughter, he just asked three. He, he didn't want to call Thomas in to be a part of it because Thomas is like, yeah, she doesn't look really good. Should I order, order a coffin? He didn't want people. He, he's there raising the dead. He wants people of faith. He takes Peter, James, and John up into the mountain where he's transfigured and Elijah and, and Moses show up. And so there's levels of, of leadership relationship that you can't take everybody into. Then Jesus is in the garden and Peter, James, and John are with him at his worst time. And so as a leader, I want to make sure that people that are following me have the God factor on them. Because the demands of leadership are going to lead people into areas where they probably wouldn't go on their own. They probably wouldn't experience on their own. You need to follow a leader in humility. Bible says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Obey your leaders. Why? Because they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. In our, I want anybody to tell me, you're not the boss of me, sort of world we live in. This whole concept of obeying leaders seems like very, very novel. But if you've already bought into the leader, I want to follow you. I like what's on your life. I like the direction you're going. There's something about you worth following. Once I buy in and commit to following the leader, then obedience shouldn't be something that the leader demands from me. It should be easy to do it. If you're playing sport and you have a coach and you know you have the best coach... If the coach is asking you to do extra press-ups, you're not debating with the coach because you know this coach is going to bring the best out of me. And even though I don't want to do it, I'm going to obey. Why? Because I know you're bringing the best out of me. So obedience should never be forced on us by a leader. I, I, I don't do this. Hopefully I'll never do it. Well, you should just do as you're told. Why? Because I'm the pastor. That, that right there is a loser's sentence. You shouldn't have to demand that because I'm this. If you want to follow, this is where we're going. Well, I don't want to do it. We'll follow somebody else. This is where we go. I don't want to go there. We'll go somewhere else. But this is where we're going. If the person's like, I want to go with you, then obedience should be easy. It should never be a burden. 
Your children being obedient to you as a parent should never be a burden. Does it mean they're always going to want to do it? No. Does it mean they're always going to be obedient? No. But it should not be a burden. It should, they should know how much you love them. And they should want it because you want the best for them. Obedience needs to be a choice. You're like, well, that's not my teenagers. I like to be in the lead. I, I, am, I, am not, I am not a follower by nature. I just don't like it. I don't even like following in the traffic. We're, we're coming up to a red light. If there's 15 cars here and they've all followed each other and there's an empty line here, I am taking the empty line. I'm going to go to the front of the line and I'm going to beat him from the green light or her. I'm going to get in the front of this... Because why? I don't want to be back here following the crowd. Number one, I'm going to miss the light because you're all slow. I'll have people in my vehicle. I have people who drive me when I travel and preach somewhere. And they pull into this lane. I always say, you know why you're in this lane? No, pastor, why am I in this lane? Because you're a follower. If you're a leader, you'd be in the other lane getting in front. In front. But when I have to follow, which we all have to follow at some point, I want to follow humbly. I want, to, I want to make it easy for the person I'm following not to have to force me to follow. I want to be able to humbly follow. Why? Because this is how God has created us. And if, and if we can just be like this, it would be so much better. Joseph's probably the most uh, preached about person in church history about leadership. And he spent his whole life serving somebody else's vision. You know, Joseph never led his own thing. He got in trouble because he took his lunch to his brothers because he was being obedient to his dad. He went to Potiphar's house and worked really hard, served Potiphar. Went from there to jail, served the jailer. Went from jail to Pharaoh's court and served Pharaoh. And his dream became a reality. Follow a leader because you are worth leading. I want to Russell, you can come up and, and play something romantic. Look at this. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For what? That would be of no advantage to you. You need to position yourself as a follower worth leading. And not every potential follower is worth leading. I, I, I want to be, if, I, if you're going to pick me for your team, and I have to be on your team and follow you, then, then I, I want to be a follower worth you leading. When we get this community thing right in our head, leadership and followership, obedience and vision, these aren't coercive, manipulative, uh, forceful. None of that is good. All of that leadership is ugly. And I don't think it's of any benefit. Following should be a joy. Leading should be a joy. If I'm going to lead you, I can't be leading you for my own advantage. I can't be leading you for my own purpose, my, my own, me and my. And then if you've got followers, they can't be following with like, oh, I don't want to do it. And, and why do we have to? And we're going to do it again. And complaining and whining. Both those extremities of the controlling leader and the whining follower are horrible. Yeah. They don't help anybody. 
So you want to have a leader that loves people. You want to have a leader that wants to take and make people's lives better. You want to have a leader that doesn't demand it by their words, but their lifestyle and their fruit demands an action. And then as a follower, you want to be somebody that when the leader picks the team, they're looking at you and go, man, I love what's on you. Follow me. Jesus went up on a mountain and he called a whole stack of people up on the mountain with him. Let's call it 100 people. And he appointed 12. Jesus had an agenda. I'm going to appoint a leadership team. I'm going to to appoint the people that I'm going to say, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. He had an agenda. I'm going to call you to follow me. So when he got on the mountain and he hung out with people, Let's call it 100. He selected 12. 88 people, he decided, no, nah, not you, not yet. Not, not, not yet. And he selected 12. So leadership is, is equally about choosing followers and followers being good followers as it is about leadership. Unfortunately, in church, we, we've got this all around the wrong way. And over the years, and I've seen them come and go, leaders that are just self-serving, leaders that, that are more interested in their title and their opportunity and controlling than, than releasing the body to be the body. That's not how community is supposed to be. And equally, followers who just make it miserable for leaders. Miserable. Kicking and screaming all the way. Moses had those people. He got them out of Egypt and was heading them to the promised land. And it was a consistent cycle in Moses' leadership life. I've ever like, Moses, you're awesome too. You're horrible. We want to kill you. You see it all through. They're at the Red Sea. They're at the Red Sea. Egyptian army's coming down. They're at the Red Sea. And, and the whole crowd, you brought us out here to kill us. You're a moron. We hate you. We would have been better off back in Egypt eating the leeks and the onions, <clears throat> even, even broccoli on our own. <clears throat> you know, we were better off back then. And you brought us out to kill us. Look at these people. They're going to come down. Then the Red Sea parts and they walk across on dry land. The Red Sea wipes all those people. Then they're on the other side. And what do they do then? I will sing unto the Lord for he is triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider thrown into the sea. And they're all singing. The Lord, my God, my strength. Oh, this is your great man. Sing with Oh, my God, my victory. Come on, boys. Oh, they're all singing. And they go along a little bit better. What's what did you bring us out here for? Like Moses' lifestyle. of, uh, And they would have been killed if it wasn't for Moses. No, follow joyfully. Get in a life group. Serve on a team. Volunteer somewhere in the house. Do it outside church as well. But as far as we are here, get involved in church. Get on a team. Serve in a ministry. Get under leadership. Get a life group leader over you. Why? Because God has created us for community. If you believe that, stand to your feet and give the Lord a great round of applause right now, right across this building.